0: Welcome again this evening to Life Shape, Prayer and Discipleship. You know, it's evening here right now. It may not be evening where you are, nor uh, may it be evening even in Southeast Texas if you're watching this in a, uh, after it's been recorded and archived. But I want you to know that we have just come from a real uh, dedicated time of prayer. Each one of these teaching sessions is, is preceded by a real concentrated and dedicated time of prayer whereby we're seeking the Lord according to Second Chronicles 7.14. fourteen. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, God says, and I will forgive their sins and heal their lands. You know, we believe this. God said he would, and he will if we will. I feel as though that that's exactly what God is doing. This is our 32nd time as a church, as a congregation, uh, to come together in this dedicated time of prayer. We committed 52 weeks each Wednesday evening for 2013 to come together and to offer ourselves in a time of humble prayer and then followed by a time of strategic discipleship, which we're about to enter into, putting one more building block in the life of every believer. You know, believers should know and be confident in what they believe. If we're gonna be believers, we should know what we believe. And if we're gonna be believers, we should have some level of confidence not just knowing what we believe, but having some place to stand on so we could, you know, uh, defend our faith if necessary. Especially to those haunting enemies that from time to time want to ask you the question, do you really believe God? Those demons that want to say to you, well, you know, uh, you know God really said that, but do you really think he meant that? You know, that's the very thing he said to Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know, uh, perhaps 6,000 years ago or so. Give or take some. But that very word is still the same temptation the devil is offering today. He's offering the same temptation. Do you really believe? what God said? Do you think you can trust him? Do you think he has your best interest at heart? Do you think he's really going to come through for you? Well the fact of the matter is we do. And each time you go to God in prayer every time you open the word of God, whenever you lift your voice in praise or gather together with other believers and hear the life changing word of almighty God, it adds faith to you. It adds strength to you. When you get up from your knees in prayer you are strengthened by The Holy Spirit. Whenever you you, you open up the Word, that Word adds and builds faith. It deposits faith in your life. Whenever you hear the message of God, the Word of God preached, the Bible says it increases our faith. Whenever we worship and praise the Lord, God inhabits those praises of His people, and His presence gives us such courage and encouragement. You know, whenever you are facing a problem, uh, it's an opportunity to drive you closer to God. I had a man tell me uh, several years ago, about 20 years ago, such a tremendous man of God, his name is Moses Vay, a real prophet, a real father, a figure in the Lord, and he said, listen, Ron, he said, never complain about a pressure that pushes you closer to God. He said, don't let the pressures of life get between you and God, but never complain about those things that press you into God. They work for you and not against you, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Just don't look at the things you can see. Dare to look through the veil and see the invisible things of God waiting for you just on the other side of your obedience. Just on the other side. That's what Jesus did. He looked beyond the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He endured the cross. But just on the other side of that, the glory of God was manifest. He rose victorious from the grave and now he leads his church, his family, his bride in the earth and in the heavenlies and he leads them day by day to victory after victory and ultimately one day we shall all be gathered together in the ultimate victory over sin, death, hell and the grave that we too shall experience for this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruption shall put on incorruption and then that proverb shall come to pass which says death shall be swallowed up in victory. That's the word of the Lord. Be encouraged. We shall each one who have named the name of Christ, we shall each one be gathered together and glorified with Christ with the same glory that he had with the Father before the foundation of the earth. We too shall be glorified with him because we are children of the Most High. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And it behooves us, it's important for us to know what we believe. So that the devil cannot distract us, detour us, discourage us, take us off of point. It's important that we know what we believe. Well, we began our discipleship time with 12 lessons on redemption. So that we would know we were saved. So that we would know we had been redeemed. So that we could understand the price that was paid for the sin. That Jesus paid the eternal debt. We're no longer under that bondage. No longer in danger of damnation in hell. Because... Jesus paid the price, and by faith we have received him as our Lord and Savior. Then the next 12 lessons were lessons on our realities. What happens? What did you get when you got born again? Then now we're talking in these particular 12 lessons. This is module number three and block number six. Module number three is our new creation responsibilities. What are we supposed to do? Not to get saved, but what are we supposed to do because we have been saved? What are, are our responsibilities to this God who loved us and gave his son for us? What are our responsibilities to him and to the kingdom? More than just what do we get now, this is about what do we give? What can we contribute? What, how can we participate in God's plan for the earth and for eternity for our generation and generations to come? So uh, tonight, our life shape Prayer and Discipleship, Module 3, uh, is Block 6, Community. Community, wow. Uh, We're going to learn a little bit about community tonight, I believe. And we're going to go first to our key scripture. Our key scripture is found in Acts, the second chapter. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44 specifically, reading from the New King James Version, says this. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Hold that thought just a moment while I tell you about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a very well-researched and meticulously documented account of the Holy Spirit working in and through believers in the first century church, in the very first church that ever existed. Some people might imagine, and some people even call, it may even be in your Bible written down, Acts of the Apostles. But uh, perhaps it might be more rightly understood to entitle that. And by the way, that was not entitled by, by, uh, uh, by inspiration of, 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 of the Holy Spirit. That's not the Word of God. It is an entitlement that was placed later. Instead of just it relegating um, acts to the acts of the apostles, perhaps it would be more accurately understood to call it the acts of the Holy Spirit. Those things which the Holy Spirit was doing in and through believers, You see, this historical document, the book of Acts, a historical document, very well researched, meticulously documented accounts of what the Holy Spirit did. This book of Acts was written by Luke. The same person, by the way, who wrote the book of Luke. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, Luke also uh, penned, he, he penned the book of Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he also penned the book of Acts. Luke was a companion to the Apostle Paul and traveled with him, and much of what Luke writes is an eyewitness firsthand account of himself. But where he did not have a personal eyewitness, uh, experience. He well researched it. You see, Luke, as some people may imagine, Luke was not one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He was not an apostle. You know, many people just imagine they 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 they, they haven't studied it, but they imagine Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were Jesus' disciples. Four of it. No, no, they weren't. You know, Mark was not one of his disciples, and and uh, you know Matthew was, and John was, but Luke was not either. In fact, Luke was not even a Jew. Luke was a Gentile. He was a Gentile medical doctor. He was a physician by trade. A well trusted and well-beloved physician. And Luke took it upon himself after having been born again, after having come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the life change that took place in his life. Well, then, uh, you know, he, he he's the only Gentile that wrote anything in the New Testament. I mean, he's, 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 he's uh, you know, pretty well thought of and very highly respected because of his research and because of him being chosen by God to document the acts that Jesus did while in his earthly ministry from birth at Bethlehem to to death, burial, resurrection in Jerusalem at Calvary and and Ascension. He documented that uh, because he wanted people to know what Jesus did while he was ministering on planet Earth. But then afterwards, he also realized that Jesus was continuing to work through people by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he again began to document what the Holy Spirit was continuing to do once Jesus had ascended and people were working and doing the works of Jesus, doing what God had left them to do uh, because Jesus had been drawn into heaven and the Holy Spirit had been sent back in power to rest upon every believer. And so this very well-documented, very meticulously researched account of the acts of the Holy Spirit give us evidence of the continual working of God after Jesus had ascended. You see, uh, uh, Luke uh, took it upon himself to give us not only a historical record, but an inspired example of the first church. It's very important we realize that this document, the book of Acts, is not just what happened in the first church, but it's also a treatise on what should take place in our lives in each church in every generation. It is a mandate, if you will, a pattern example. There is only one reflection, only one story, only one account inspired by God, this book of Acts, that gives us a picture of what we too should do When we become born again, when we are joined together with others in a church, and when we become a part of the functioning body of Christ, the family of God in the earth. That's why this particular account of Luke is so important. He has documented this for us to understand what God wants us to do because this particular church in Jerusalem was so successful that within one generation, they had taken the word of God and established churches all over the known world. And within 300 years, this one church and the results of its rippling effects of sharing the gospel had even completely brought down and tamed and brought to Christ. The whole Roman Empire, and had even brought the Emperor uh, uh, Constantine to Christ, and the whole empire Christianity became the the religion, the accepted religion of the whole Roman Empire. As results of just the simple things that they were doing, they kept doing. This is the pattern example as well for us to follow in our generation, our church, our life, and our family. And that's one of the reasons why it is so important. Uh, our key scripture reveals by the way, the mindset of those early believers, those very first who believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those very first people to get born again, those very first people to begin that first church in Jerusalem and join together. The book of Acts, Acts, the second chapter, verse 44, reveals their mindset. It it shows us their heart and it's a true heart of unity. to help explain this 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 heart and this mind, as we read in our key scripture that that they uh, you know were all together, and that they had all things in common, uh, to help explain the heart, the mind, and the attitude of these first Christians, uh, let me use uh, uh, we're going to use the word community tonight, okay? And community, basically, if we break it down in its English spelling uh, as though it were phonetically derived from two other words. We would see clearly the indication of this common unity, a common unity among believers, a unity that should be common among believers. They were all together, Acts 2 says, in one Accord in one place. You read in Acts chapter 2 and in, uh, in, in the early verses, they were all together in one accord. Here it says that they were all together and they had all things in common. Do you know this word together specifically means a place? They were all in one place. They were gathered together all in one place. They were in one accord. They were in unity and they had all things in common. They were experiencing a common unity. This portrays a shared togetherness a shared togetherness on a spiritual level that somehow these early Christians, these first Christians, once they got born again, they, they transcended their, their limited relationships and began having spiritual relationships These spiritual relationships they began to enjoy, this spiritual fellowship, which the apostle Paul refers to many times as koinonia, this spiritual relationship is a shared togetherness, a common unity, a unified community of believers, if you will, that stood above their individual protections stood above their individual possessions and even stood above their individual pursuits. They had a common pursuit that was more important than their individual pursuits. They had a common uh, possessions that were more important than their individual possessions. And the common protection of the body of Christ was more important than them protecting themselves individually from one another. Uh, this particular scripture in Acts 2.44, our key scripture, it, it, uh, uh, it, uh, it, it's kind of difficult for people to understand because it almost threatens our individuality. In fact, I don't think I've heard it preached on very many times. Preachers don't know what to say about and all the believers sold everything they had. They were all together and they gave it to the, to the preacher and the preacher gave it to everybody as they had need. They had all things. You know, that is kind of intimidating. It breeds insecurities. It need not, but, and it's not meant to. But oftentimes people don't know how to approach this scripture because it seems kind of difficult to, uh, to understand it. Uh, but but uh, um, rather than approaching it, uh, with some trepidation, let's approach it with an open heart. You see, it seems much easier for people who are poor and needy to embrace the thought of of, 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 of a common purse than it does someone who is rich and wealthy and works, you know, uh, 18, 20 hours a day to get that money. And all of a sudden, you know, what? You know, uh, the Bible is not uh, promoting uh, what we understand here as as the common day socialistic approach, okay, to, to uh, leveling the playing field. But rather it's speaking about heart, mind, and attitude of the believer. It's talking about a shared togetherness. We'll get to that a little bit more in a moment. The truth of the scripture and its corresponding admonition um, is basically, uh, you know, it's, As I said, it's not a mandate for some hybrid socialism or spiritual socialism, but rather it describes and it encourages a common unity among believers. Uh, As we continue to read the verses following verse 44, we can understand it a little more because the Bible begins to develop this theme more and more, and and it tells us the common ground on which we as believers and every believer should stand. You see... uh, Church is God's will, okay? Church is God's family. And church is designed for every believer. And church is community. Church is the display of our shared togetherness in Christ. And it should speak loud to others who are outside the church that there is a shared Togetherness, a shared spiritual relationship that is special to those who have been born again. Uh, In fact, uh, it's important for us to realize as we continue through these verses in Acts 2 uh, that we not only have this common shared togetherness, not only this community, not only this common unity, but we also should be displaying a common care for one another. A common care. And I think, uh, you know, caring, by the way, is sharing. You know, either you're family or you're not. All right? And that's. I think that's what... Uh, 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 the Holy Spirit is challenging here. Either we're family or we're not. Either we're all children of God and all his children and, and all family. Either, either we have this shared togetherness or we don't. And if we do, it's important that we have a common care for others who are in our family. We should have a common care for one another. That's what Acts 2.45 says. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. That is just the display, the mindset, the heart, the attitude of people who believe that they are now in a family and family speaks loud to them and this shared together of a spiritual relationship, the sharing together demands that I have a common care for my brothers and my sisters, that I am not uh, doing wonderfully well and living on some high mountain and don't want anything to do with, with, with my brothers and sisters who may be going through a difficult or a hard time in life. Whether there is a a gap, an economic gap, an academic gap, a social gap, or a cultural gap, it does not matter whether there's a historical gap. It doesn't matter. When we are born again and we come into the body of Christ, community is the will of God, and this common unity that we should have should be displayed in our life with a common care for one another. We should care about other believers joined by God to our family. Not only should we have a common care for one another, but also we should be displaying common commitments. The commitments we make should be common. We, one and all, should have the same commitments. Each one of us and every one of us, without respect to our age and stage of life, or without respect to our class or, or our, 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 our uh, um, um, economic status, or without respect to who we are, where we are, our, our, our uh, gender, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, we should have common commitments. That's what it talks about in Acts 2, 47. You see, they were all, they were all praising God and having favor with all people, with everybody. Not just people that were just like them, but they were having, you know, favor with all people. Why? How can you have favor with everybody? It's because you treat everybody the same. They were praising God. They had a common commitment here to come together to praise God, have favor with all men. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church those who he wanted to be saved. He was adding. He wasn't adding everybody. Not not everybody that was added was just like the last person that was added. God was adding them all. In fact, the picture of heaven is is the picture of of people from all races and kindreds and tribes and tongues and nations. That's the picture of heaven. It should be the picture of the body of Christ in the earth. It should be the picture of every local congregation. It should be a picture of the demographics of their communities that they serve without which God cannot add to the church if we are unwilling not only to have a common care, but also a common commitment, so that we all do the same thing. We all serve the same God, and we all commit to the same practices. Also, the first church not only had a, had a common care, a common commitments uh, to God and to each other, but also uh, they had a common culture. And this, I think, is one of the most difficult things for churches to embrace. One of the most difficult things for communities to embrace, any community, is to have a common culture. But you see, we have an advantage. The church is not a melting pot where we all blend our, 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 our lives together and, 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 and make some collage. Rather, the church is a conversion point. It's not that we bring our old lives and our old histories into the church. It's not that we come to the church and each one of us preserves our own identities, protects our own life, and and somehow or another champions our own causes. We need not protect our own identities. When we come to Christ, we embrace a new identity a brand new identity. And for that, when you get born again, you come to a place to build and to experience a common culture. It's a kingdom culture. It's not a culture of the nation that you came from or the ethnicity or the, uh, the race or the tribe or the kindred or the tongue or the, or, the, or the people group that we have before been identified with. It's not that we have to lose that. You know, it's, it's, it's not that we have to uh, uh, you know, uh, say we're no longer Americans. It's not that we can't be uh, you know, uh, 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 identified with some other aspects of our life and history and culture and custom, but we have embraced a culture that transcends Every other identity that we have. We cannot come to Christ and set apart, championing our own identities above the identity we have just received in Christ. As a new creature in Christ Jesus, old things pass away, all things become new, and all things are of God. We are children of God with a kingdom culture. Uh, The kingdom culture which stands above class and citizenship and ethnicity and economy and history and stands above our ego. A common culture, not a blended culture as such. Although we, we respect every culture, yet we identify with Christ above every other facet of life. That's what the first church was doing. No matter where they were from and and what language they had spoke before they came to Christ. They embraced the opportunity to identify with him above every other aspect of life. And when they did that, then they became the body of Christ. Uh, we embrace a new identity, as I said. You know, we're, 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 we're nice and kind to everyone, and, and we like all people, uh, even those who are not like us. When we do that, it opens up the door for God to add to us. Well, tonight, this moves us to our important points, okay? And uh, my how time flies. Uh, It doesn't seem like we have been going now for 25 minutes, but I just counted down on my clock to zero. So I have to do these important points rather quickly, okay? Important point number one. God wants every believer to have a church home. It is the will of God that every believer have a local church home to which they are committed. Acts 2.44 says, now all who believed were together. That means they were in one place. That means that they were there with purpose. It was their place. They were together in that one place. It's important to God. You see, we're together literally means we're in the same place. It's important that every believer understand and embrace that God, the fact that God wants you to have a local family, a local church home to which you are committed. Important point number two, church is a community of believers joined together by God. God's the one that joins us to a church family. We don't just pick a church family because it's you know, perfect or because it's you know, for one reason or another. God joins us. God often joins us to church families that we like and identify with. Sometimes he doesn't. I've often instructed people that if you happen to find the perfect church, don't join it. You will mess it up. Okay? Uh, that's the way it works. We are a family. And God spoke to me this week and said that he buys the whole package. I wasn't sure exactly what he meant, but I wrote it down. Later, I came to understand in an application that when God bought me, when he bought me with the blood of Christ, when he purchased me and redeemed me, he bought the whole package. He bought all that I was, all that I am, and all that I will be. He bought and bought into all I'm ever going to do. You know he calls me his child even before I mess up. It's like the children, whenever we have children, we buy the whole package. We get the whole package with every child. Not every one of them is alike, just exact, exactly like the others. But we buy, we love, we appreciate, and we uh, embrace the whole package. He, he was talking to me about me. Isn't that neat? God, God uh, I was telling the Lord how, uh, well, I'll just tell you, I was telling the Lord how, how, uh, you know, uh, how I wished I was better how I wished I could do more for him, how I wished I would, you know, and, and uh, he told me he bought the whole package. So I guess he was agreeing that maybe I'm not perfect, but, <laughs> but th- that's okay with him, you know. He loves me anyway, isn't that great? Uh, number three, our, our last important point. Um, it is every believer's responsibility to develop and demonstrate, number one, a common care for one another, a common commitment to one another, and a common culture with one another. You see, that is our responsibility to develop and to demonstrate a common care, a common commitment, and a common culture. That's community, okay? And God has called us to be community. God wants us to build his family as a community of believers in every city, in every town, in every village, in every nation of the world. That's our responsibility.